Welcome to the Mike Litton Experience Podcast. Mike has over 31 years experience in real estate, finance, and investing. He's passionate about being a father, a teacher, a realtor, an investor, and a leader. Everyone has a story, and our passion is to help them tell it. And now, introducing the host of the Mike Litton Experience, Mike Litton. So what can you expect from the Mike Litton Experience? You can expect stories that will inspire, motivate, advice that will sharpen your focus, and expert information on real estate, finance, and market conditions. Dr. Nina Knighton, thank you so much for joining us as our guest on the Mike Litton Experience. I, I know you're incredibly busy and you have an amazing resume, and I'm excited to talk about all of the amazing things you're doing. Thank you so much for being here. I'm truly honored to have you. You're welcome, and thank you so much for having me. So like we talked about before we hit record, everybody has a story, and our passion is to help them tell it. So we're going to go through your life story with your permission, starting with where you were born all the way up to today. And then we can talk about all the amazing things that you're doing to help people to, to help people keep their health going. And in, I mean, infection prevention, the whole thing, this is amazing stuff you're doing. So let's start with where you were born. Yes. Yeah, so I was born in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, awesome. And yeah, it, um, at Booth Memorial. So it was a military hospital um, here in Cleveland, Ohio. So why a military hospital? Um, so my father, so I actually have two fathers, but my biological father is a veteran. So that was the reason for there. I got you. Okay. So did you grow up in Chula Vista or at Chula Vista? Did you grow up in Cleveland? I did grow up in Cleveland, so stayed here, born and raised, um, moved about 13 times by the time I was 12. Wow. Yeah, so a significant amount of times, um, have two siblings that I was raised with in the same home. Um, education, while it's something that's important to me now, was not heavily reinforced. So amongst my siblings, cousins, um, first in my family to finish high school. Wow. Yeah. And you went on to get a PhD. Yes. How awesome. I yes. love this. I just Thank love you. your story. I know you. <laughs> Thank you. So, so you moved 13 times. Yes. And where did you go to high school? So I went to Cleveland Public Schools. And so I went to John Marshall High School. So it's now an engineering school. But at that time, so we're talking about 2002 when I graduated, the graduation rate was less than 18%. Wow. Yes, for the whole district. So um, learned early on, I was going to say just through upbringing, I learned to play opposites or I would say dream my way out of poverty. So just really thinking through um, if my parents did not go and get an education, then maybe I should, you know, as a way to be able to amplify what it is that I wanted to be in life. If we were staying, you know, um, in a homeless shelter. So I've stayed in homeless shelters throughout the duration um, of my life. And even during those times, I would always dream about living in a home. I would dream of stability and use school and education as my escape to be able to think through what could a better life be. And so I talk about infection prevention now, Mike, but prevention has always been in my vein, I would say. So if it was alcoholism that was in my home, prevent alcohol. If it was drugs in my home, prevent drugs. Um, so just really playing opposites in a manner for which I learned that would benefit me later as a result of learning the why behind the why. So it sounds like you have a particular appreciation for how you grew up because yes. it really formed you into who you are today. Absolutely. Um, so much so even with fitness, with family, so just raising children. So being so much so into self-improvement and just thinking through ways to do things better, how do I make things better in a manner for which maybe I didn't see? And that's honestly why I love nursing. I love science and I love infection prevention because these are things that people can't see that may be harming them, but you're getting them to where it is that they need to go. 
So you're a certified nurse who also earned your PhD. Yes, I am a registered nurse and I have a PhD in nursing. So I study the science behind care and I'm an infection preventionist, which means that I study the science and I investigate ways for us to prevent the transmission of infections. That is just amazing to me. I just, I am so, I am so blown away by you. So let me go back for just a second, if it's okay. So when you went to high school, I understand that that the graduation rate was really low, that kind of thing. And obviously Cleveland public schools has some work to do. Um, But did you have a, did you have a particular favorite subject in high school? So I didn't, I did not. Um, which is interesting. I didn't have a favorite subject then. Um, I would say math, I used to think was my favorite, but I had this teacher. I'll never forget, I was taking honors math. And if you did not do the structure of the problem the way that she did, she marked everything 50% off, even if the answer was right. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so I got- wow. Yes, That's I got- That's a little rough. It is. And, and I this is a high school math teacher? This is a high school math teacher. And I was taking, wow. honors. I might have been taking trigonometry or something. And so long <laughs> story short, I saw this lady maybe about 10 years ago. And I reminded her about me getting an F. And she's oh. long retired. <laughs> oh but that had such a detrimental effect on me at that time. Because I'm like, well, I'm getting the answers right. And I found my own methodology. But right. she had this thing of where you had to do it in her particular way. So math, I started to deviate away from it a little bit. And I think had I stuck with it, I think I would have been more geared towards STEM early on, which is where I ultimately landed. But I would have liked it a lot more then. But I would also say chemistry. So when you left high school, Mm -hmm. where did you go from there? So I went to Baldwin Wallace College, which is located in Berea, Ohio. Okay. And that came by way of an upward bound program. So there's these trio programs that occur. And if you're a first um, first generation graduate, then you get these opportunities to participate in college prep programs on Saturdays. You may travel around to different colleges to see how they are. And with this program, we spent two weeks on campus as a part of the college experience. And so they gave us scholarship money. And so when I applied to different historically black colleges, I had the best financial aid package. The loan amounts from the um, historically black colleges scared me a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I ended up at Baldwin Wallace and my major there was sports medicine. Okay. And I took this chemistry course and I'll tell you, Mike, mind you, I told you Cleveland Public Schools has made a drastic change. So they're so much better now. But back then, what I took as my two years of chemistry in high school was my first two weeks of chemistry in college. So my peers, they already had the textbooks. They had had way ahead of you. Yeah, they were way ahead of me. So the textbooks that they had in college or that I was getting in college, they had already seen in high school. So when I got my first chemistry test back, it was a 17%. Oh my gosh. And it's only three tests throughout the whole entire semester. So 17%. But I knew, I was like, I can't go back home. So I'll never forget, I went and met with um, Professor Jim McCarger, which by the way, is such an amazing guy. So he was the chemistry, he ended up being the chemistry chair and doing some things academically for Bon Wallace. But I told him, I said, I need help in terms of being able to understand how to study. Mm-hmm. The work came easy, but I realized I didn't know how to study. And so he said, well, let's go over some study strategies. I got so good at studying that I sometimes would even correct his work. And in one of those memorable students for him, he was like, you sure you don't want to be a chemistry major? Like you would be really good at it. Mm-hmm. But it was so special with Dr. McCarger because... Being a first generation, there's challenges that we have that others may not have, meaning you still may have, let's say, your family that are having utilities that are being turned off. There still are going to be challenges in regards to poverty that may occur at home. 
but he had a way in which of being able to understand them and being able to relate and just remind me that it's going to come down to my resilience. It's going to come down to me really being able to fight through those things and understanding what I can change and what I couldn't change. So I ended up finishing that class with a 74%. But I will tell you, I love chemistry to this day. And that is the best grade that I've ever had or the one that I'm most appreciative of because I know how hard I had to work to get it. 17% all the way to 74. That's a major jump. Exactly. Out of three tests. And so I, just that in itself, you know, I'm, I would say it was one of my most resilient moments. And so college was sports medicine. Then I met this wonderful man um, (laughs) while I was in college. He was now my husband. And long story short, I was finishing up school. He was finishing up school. And voila, there comes the first kid. And so we finished up college on the same day. But I was also a mom. And I will tell you that life changed the moment that I met my son. I knew I wanted to be a nurse. And it was all because of a nurse taking care of me and a nursing student. So I finished up my degree and then went on to become a nurse because I said, where in a profession could you give love to a stranger and it be the most empathetic and compassionate thing ever? And so that's how I actually went into nursing. See, that's important. Major, major important. And the reason I say that is people go to work every day, right? And they do what they do. They might be a nurse. They might be a real estate agent. They might be a mortgage loan officer. They might be whatever, right? But the way that you treat people has an impact on their lives that far far exceeds what your, you know, far outreaches what you feel like is your world, right? Yes. The better you, and I, I'm a huge believer of this, the mm-hmm. better, so people, you know, Maya Angelou always, my, one of her famous quotes is, people will forget what you did for a living. Yes. But they'll never forget how you made them feel. Yep. And so when I go out and into the into the world, right, when I'm doing my podcast, I'm doing all the things I do, speaking in public, teaching, all that, that's one of the things that I try to remember is people will remember how you made them feel. Yes. And it's, that's a big, big deal. And I hope that nurse knows how she inspired you. So get this, I, it was such, it's such a small world that the nursing student and the nurse that was taking care of me was affiliated with Case Western Reserve, where I then would later on go to school and be able to That's teach. right. That's right. So I saw it, that in your bio. Yeah. yeah. So it ended up coming full circle in that experience. And so I knew, now mind you, I had just did sports medicine. I had did my observation hours. I was planning on taking the next step, you know, into a doctorate of physical therapy program. I left the hospital, not only as a new mom, but was like, no, I'm going to become a nurse. So I enrolled into a diploma nursing program here and I worked my way up the ranks. Um, And the next thing I know, we were at the H1N1 pandemic. So I got this small kid at home. And at that time, so we're fast forwarding a couple of years. I had also become pregnant with our second child. Mm -hmm. But H1N1 was there. And, you know, there was this big scare that if you were pregnant, you were at higher risk. Infection prevention was a thing, but we didn't have masks. So you weren't told to mask then for H1N1. We were then having to stick uh, the swabs down people's nose into their nasopharyngeal cavity. So imagine going up the nose and then going all the way back just to make sure. And people would cough, they would sneeze, all of these things, right? And we were, of course, told to clean our hands. And I was questioning, even early on from the time of being a student, is why is it that we clean our hands, but patients don't? Right. And as I started to think about infection prevention and control, I became highly interested in it because I was trying to not only do my best to protect patients, but how do I protect my babies? How do I protect my husband? People, you know, around me that I didn't want to take these germs home to. Right. 
So that's how I started to get into infection prevention and control. I specifically started to focus around patients. So, and I don't know, Mike, if you have been to see a loved one in the hospital recently, or I know you mentioned, you know, being hospitalized as well, but they don't provide you with anything to clean your hands with. It's true. But we're all at risk for these healthcare associated infections that are around in the environment. So then I was told, no, it's not healthcare work. We only care about healthcare workers, not patients. And I just wouldn't let it go. So the next thing I know, I'm at the nursing school and I'm like, hey, I don't want to be a nurse practitioner. I don't want to be this. I just want to study germs on patients' hands. And I want to study patient hand hygiene. I said, if it's not a thing as a nurse, I'll let it go. I said, I won't think anything else about it. I'll let it go. But along that journey, I had a sixth grade teacher. So one thing I didn't share, just going back a little bit, is you have those teachers, um, you have friends, you have family members. There's people along the way to help you out through life. And so I know that I got here because I say God sent me those angels along the way. Some of them stay. Yeah. So some of them to stay, some of them temporary. But this one in particular, Mike, from the time of sixth grade through eighth grade, and even still when I went on to move to college, this teacher was always there. And in sixth grade, so again, I told you all of these times that I moved around, I always had a ride to school because of that teacher. That's awesome. Which was, yeah, which was amazing. When it came down to moving into college, she moved me into college. She did end up passing away 12 years ago from breast cancer at the age of 44. Yeah, so she was fairly um young. Way too young. But, yeah, but the ironic thing is, is on her last days, I remember her saying, I said, well, why didn't you eat your food? And she said, no one came in to clean my hands. The same thing happened as well that same exact year with my husband's grandmother. She had had a stroke and I said, well, why haven't you eaten? And she held her hand up and was showing me that it was dirty. And so it came full circle because just as that teacher had cared for me, I had the opportunity to care for her in her last days to make sure that she cleaned her hands. And because things like that happened, it further solidified that I was on the right path of what I was doing meshing nursing, meshing infection prevention and control, meshing my other hat, you know, which we may touch on a little bit of becoming more submerged into biomedical engineering and learning how to make things to help people. And so that's how I got into nursing. That's how nursing expanded. So I ended up in this PhD program because they're like, well, we don't have all of those other programs, but it sounds like you need a PhD. I'm like a PhD, me? I'm like, what am I getting ready to do with a PhD? I'm a nurse, right? <laughs> I'm a nurse. <laughs> had, never heard, had never heard of a PhD in nursing. And they were like, well, you sound, you said you want to study this problem. That's science. Mm-hmm. So I'll tell you, I had some wonderful people that were around me. They were like, you can do it. Oh, you're finishing up your Bachelor of Science in Nursing? No worries. Just make sure that you're enrolled by January. I took, I kid you not, I can't make this up. I took nine classes over one summer. Wow. And finished up with a 3.8 GPA, full-time mom, okay, to two small kids. And um, also, actually, no, so a mom, but a full-time nurse. So I still got these two kids, but then I'm also a nurse. So I then applied to the program. I find out that I'm carrying my third child. Oh my gosh. And then find out I get a full ride for this fellowship that I had applied to. Oh, awesome. (laughs) That's awesome. But I was like, I have no choice. I have to do it all. Yeah. So with that came resilience, of course, of time management. So Mm -hmm. even still to this day, if the day starts for me at 5 a.m., my calendar is written out what I'm doing from 5 a.m. to 5.30 It might be written down for what I'm doing from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Just to make sure that I'm fitting in family. I'm fitting in, you know, let's say focused on finances, my education, whatever needed to be important at that time. 
And I was able to finish in three and a half years. And I kid you not, seven days of finishing in 2017, my youngest was turning four. So it was like this trajectory of me being able to have her. And so from there, I just kept going. But I had ventured over to the biomedical engineering department and said, hey, I need to develop this device. And this is what it needs to do. Through that process, I learned how to make things. Mm -hmm. Um, Through the process of, let's say, making things, I ended up teaching. So I teach engineering students now. So I'm actually the first nurse at Case to have an appointment over in the engineering department. Wow. (laughs) And it's because you're building that item, right? Can you talk about what that is? So, yes, I actually have a R01. So R01 is the highest level federal grant that you can get with National Institutes of Health. And I got it through the National Institute of Aging. And what it is, is it's a patient smart hand sanitation dispenser that okay. affixes to the patient's bed rail. And it reminds the patient when and how to clean their hands. Mm-hmm. And it tells people that come close to the patient to clean their hands before touching the patient. So it's a hand sanitizer dis- dispenser, basically. Hand sanitizer dispenser. Yes. Basically. Okay. Yes. And so and it's on the it's, ramp. So it's right there where they are. Exactly. So they don't have to get up or have somebody go grab something for them or whatever. It's literally mounted right there. That's it. And it gives wow, verbal reminders. So instead of beeping reminders of uh, clean your hands, it actually says, please clean your hands. So it gives the verbal reminder. So they're not distracted or overwhelmed by the amount of beeping that's going on in the room. Right. That's amazing. Yes. That's amazing. So you go from, so you go from, from where you started in Cleveland, right? You go all the way through, you have a baby, a nurse inspires you, you go and get your nursing degree. (laughs) Then you're inspired to go get your PhD because you're trying to help to, to, to in this sit this sixth grade teacher right i mean all this is just god's throwing all these people in your path absolutely i mean and that's that's what fascinates me about what i do right because we get people's life story and it's like that's it it's crazy if you ever look at a map of water and how it meanders (laughs) how people's lives go and it's just it's incredible because you know this there's no way you could have written that script Not at all. And to your point, so much so, Mike, where every day is a day of gratitude. And I kid you not. And I will tell you, I'm giving you the highlights of those stories. But I think if I can even tell our audience, there have been plenty of times where I've been knocked down. There's been plenty of times where I've been discouraged. But me keeping my eye ultimately on what it is that I'm meant to do is focusing on those things that I meant to do opposed to the obstacles. And with that, I can tell you even during the pandemic. So I've learned all of these things about infection prevention and control. Um, we were just handed masks and said, just put on the mask, right? And it'll work. But if you can imagine being a nurse, having had to wear masks for TB, having had to wear gloves, understanding what proper hand hygiene looks like, knowing the risk, right? The mask can cause, Mm -hmm. because if you don't clean your hands when putting it on and taking it off, they can, it can then become a contaminant. If you're wearing gloves around the grocery store and you're picking up things, you're picking up more germs on those gloves than what you would have picked up on your normal hands. And so- Because all those things have been handled by other people Exactly. Right? And so, who haven't who haven't cleaned their hands either, right? And then yes. people are in the warehouse and all that stock is sitting there. I used to work in a grocery store. So <laughs> to stock shelves, right? <laughs> and I watched people sneeze on the cans. Yes. Right? So I, right? And I and I used to watch them do it and think, okay, I wonder how long those germs last, right? Exactly. So, you know, you don't have a lot of time when you're stocking shelves to try to to try to think about those things. But I know exactly what you're talking about because I literally, to this day, when I walk into a grocery store, like into the produce section, I wonder how many people have sneezed on the oranges. Yes. You know what I mean? I know. Nope. (laughs) Because I just, I watched it all the time. Yes. And me and I haven't, but it's like, I already know 
what's occurring because we're talking about people that are going to touch stuff, meaning if I am looking for that perfect apple that I'm getting ready to pay $5 for, right? Now in right. today's inflation, I want to make sure that it's the right apple if I'm going to pay $5 for it. So you don't know how many hands have touched things. And so I found myself using money out of my pocket, even during the pandemic, because at this point, research had pretty much come to a halt for a second, because if you were not medically necessary to be in the hospital to do care, they halted a lot of research to be what was called essential or non-essential. Yeah, we pushed everything aside. Exactly. Because we were all kind of in survival mode at the time. Exactly. But and I'm it's like, amazing. Now we're starting to find out that the science behind a lot of the things that they recommended, like the six foot distance and all that kind of stuff, was all just kind of made up. But that's what I know. They're just kind and of so, throwing it up against the wall to see what sticks. I mean, it's right. Scary. But they didn't have infection preventionists at the table. Right. And so there were people that may have had some knowledge of it, but not people such as myself that studies it and knows about it on a regular basis. Yeah. So I found myself in the community talking to everyday people and was like, do you understand this? And what I did is I did these infographics and it would be, let's say, something about going to the grocery store etiquette. And it will have on there, you should make sure that you have some sort of, let's say, disinfectant wipes and hand sanitizer in the car, um, making sure that they clean their hands after using the keypad, mm -hmm. being aware, you know, of things that everyone else touched while in the store. So making sure that they wipe down their items when they got home. Even something as simple, Mike, as their steering wheel. So many people sit in their car and eat mm -hmm. and have no idea how many elevator buttons, escalators they've touched and they get right in their car and they're eating the French fries and the wheel, the, the steering wheel is contaminated. Yeah. So just all of these practical things where people were being asked to shut stuff down, I was trying to teach people how to live and how to incorporate infection prevention into their daily lives. Something that started so small is me doing these colorful infographics and literally putting them up online turned into me making these packets for people. They were these little infographic sets. And we did about 250,000 door drops, meaning we left them on the store steps of people around Northeast Ohio because we knew that there's a digital divide. We knew that they weren't getting practical information, meaning anyone can say just wear a mask or just right. clean your hands. But if I'm not doing it because I'm on the right at the right time, it doesn't matter. Right. So I was showing them, okay, yeah, if you're going to play video games, make sure that you're cleaning down a joystick or everybody's cleaning their hands. Mm -hmm. If you're playing cards, you can't wash the cards. If you're going to talk mess over the table or over the bar, wipe down the bar. Mm -hmm. So just really practical things. And I started getting calls from places such as the YWCA, um, the New York State Board of Education, just a plethora of people that were like, hey, you know, share this information with us. Mm -hmm. Forbes, I randomly reached out to them and were like, the CDC is not giving us enough information on how to wear masks. And yeah. I'm concerned people are going to be putting plastic on their face and suffocating yeah. because everyone was so panicked and they were just trying to stay safe. And it just exploded into all of these wonderful opportunities, allowing me to share with people how do they stay safe on a regular basis. Um, I wrote a, a house bill. So I wrote House Bill 628 in the state of Ohio, which mandated hospitals to provide patient hand hygiene education to patients in acute care and long-term care. And that was done with State Representative Juanita Brent. And so it's still pending right now, but it's just still the fact that people don't know what they don't know. If you don't know to ask about patient hand hygiene in a healthcare facility, you don't start thinking about it until you've already acquired a healthcare associated infection. Right. So the goal is to prevent people from getting that. So right. once you have it, it's a little too late, right? That it's part. It's the ahead of time <laughs> thing that you need to be doing to, to help prevent it. Exactly. And so it just is this preventative movement of 
How do we think about our everyday environment and really normalize not being sick? I don't know about you, but I heard from a lot of people that they did not get sick during the pandemic severely. Some got sick. So definitely, you know, condolences for those that did, for those that died. So it did happen. But there were so many people as well that said I did not get sick or I was less sick during the pandemic than I ever have been. And we had periods of time where we were without vaccines. Mm -hmm. It was people doing infection prevention and control practices, um, meaning that they weren't just allowing sick people to come over to their homes. They weren't just allowing themselves to be around others that were ill. They made sure that, hey, if we're going to gather, leave the windows open so we can get proper ventilation. So we learned how to be very creative. And I'm always of the opinion, how do we stay ready so we don't have to get ready? Right. No, I totally agree with that. I think that's incredibly wise. And if we had had more of that before COVID hit, right, there'd be, yeah. there'd be literally tens of thousands of people that did not pass away. Absolutely. And it's scary it's, now because we're right is. back. There. Like we're right back there, meaning it's like an all or nothing kind of thing, meaning people are back out coughing and sneezing. People are back, you know, not cleaning surfaces again. And you do concern yourself with, we know that we're in a place where things are changing. The H1N1 and COVID were less than 10 years apart. We were at one point where the average for a pandemic would happen every 10 to 30 years. And now we're looking at nine years. So are we increasing frequency? And again, for whatever reason, we can't, let's say, think about the causes as much as we have to think about what is our reaction going to be or how are we going to be prepared? And so always think about things from that standpoint. But it goes into a lot of my other work. So as I circle back around and I talk about poverty and coming up in poverty, I always know that life happens in the most dynamic manner. So my husband, so he has a um, education degree. He also went back for civil engineering. So life has also had that spin around for him. And he would work as, let's say, he's worked as a car salesman, mortgage broker. I could go on and on and on. Mm -hmm. And so what he ended up landing on was appliances. So he has a used appliance store, actually like the largest used appliance store here in Northeast Ohio. Hmm. But his work combines with my work, Mike, because it addresses my research on hygiene poverty and its relationship to infection prevention and control. So during the pandemic and even now, people's inability to have sufficient detergent to clean their clothes, to have, let's say, sufficient dishwashing liquid, to have, let's say, body soap that, you know, maybe is not going to break them out because chemicals don't agree with everyone. But if that's all that you can afford, that's all that you can afford. Healthcare workers, or let's say, just say public service workers that may be dealing with sewage every day. We don't question if these individuals have the resources that they need to make sure that they're staying free and staying away from the germs that can then lead to infection. And so with the appliances, it's such a niche because anybody can be his customer, but you'd be surprised how many people may have a functioning refrigerator, but not freezer, or their food is not getting to adequate temperature, which brings us to foodborne illnesses, you know, or poisoning. So some of the same, let's say, not same bugs, but similar staph infections and illnesses that you would see inside of the healthcare settings, we're seeing those same illnesses inside of the communities, Hmm. which then if someone is, yeah, if they're already off of work or if they're having these conditions, how do they then get to make money? How do they get to the job to make money? And so I just find how it's coming full circle with my upbringing with my research and with what it is that he's doing for us to be able to say, how do we address the very issues as it relates to infections that that keep people from being healthy in their environment, um, keep them from being personally safe. That's amazing. 
That is so cool how it's come full circle for you. Yeah, it has. That's really cool. I love the hand dispenser thing on the <laughs> on the on the rails of the of the hospital beds. I mean, yes. that's, you know, you saw a need and you filled it. I mean, that's yes. incredibly cool. And it's exactly what you're continuing to do. Yes. And so we're in two local hospitals here. So the Cleveland VA, um, which is a public hospital and Metro Health System, which is also a public hospital. Well, for so, now, for now, now. This, <laughs> now that you've done this show, it'll be worldwide, right? It'll be right. Absolutely. So we're going to put them in all the hospitals. Yes, I'll have to tell them, though, like, hold on a little bit, because right now we're in pilot phase. So we're just wanting to make sure and not really wanting to make sure as much as just discover if them having this device, which we're positive about, will lower the amount of pathogens or the colony forming units that lead to infections on patients' hands. Yeah. Oh, it has to. It has to. Yes. <laughs> like, I'm still, I have a truck that's sitting outside here. I'm at my house, mm -hmm. right? And I still have hand sanitizer in my in my door of my truck because I'm you. in properties all the time looking at them, right? And you know, I mean, it's I'm not in there with gloves on. I do have gloves that I that I have in my truck, I'll but see I you're worst. but I don't take gloves in. I just. I make sure I, I hit my hand sanitizer on a regular basis. So right? you're well-versed then. If you're well, saying you've been in a lot of properties, that means that you've seen a lot of things that can be potential contaminants. Oh, absolutely. It's amazing. Yeah. And, the, and the ones that I walk in are potential investments. So a lot of times they're distressed, yes. right? So they're not the they're not the cleanest places in the world. Mm -hmm. that's, I mean, that's kind of a polite way of putting it, right? No, they're I know. Best, Trust me. You know? <laughs> Uh, so I'm super careful about, you know, what I touch and that kind of thing. And then I'm always careful about making sure I wash my hands before and after and that kind of thing. So, yeah. So I was, I, and when I went and spent the time that I told you about in the, in the emergency room, uh, one of the things that they told me was I was immune compromised. Oh. And so I, I, and I had the thing that landed me in the heart, in the hospital was my, I had tachycardia. Yeah. And so the doctor, I'm under doctor's care, right? And the doctor's like, okay, you're not, you're not lifting weights. You're not going to the gym. You're not right. And I said, look, doc, the best way that I know to keep my health in place and keep infection prevention for me is yes. to lift weights. Every time that I've ever regularly lifted weights, I've been able to not get sick. I've been able to prevent myself from getting sick, right? It's my, my immune system gets built up. Okay. Yes. You know why that is? I'm sitting in the examination room and my wife is there and this doctor's looking at my wife like, who is this guy? Right. <laughs> yeah. And my doctor turns to her and she says, he's a thoroughbred. Mm. You're dealing with a thoroughbred. Have you ever been to the horse races where they put the thoroughbreds in the chute <laughs> and they're getting ready to open the chute and the thoroughbreds are jumping around and they're hurting themselves in the chute if you don't open the right she's like you got to open the chute you got to let him run and you got to give him enough rain and i literally looked at my wife and I, i'm like she's calling me a horse right <laughs> but the thing is i never realized how much my wife got me like how much she awesome. you know what i'm saying and yeah. for her to say that to the doctor right and the doctor's like okay i'll 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 compromise with you you can go to the gym. In fact, you can go to the gym every day if you want. You just have to lift half of what you used to lift. Done. Um, so I went to the gym and I lifted. She goes, I don't care how many reps, just half of what, right? So I went to the gym. And what was amazing was when I lifted half of what I used to lift, I didn't get sore. Oh. Well, so I could go to the gym every day. Wow. And it helped me to keep from getting sick. I believe that this is a big, big deal. And I believe it's bigger than most people realize. And I know you know this. Yes. The more you physically use your body, okay, the more mm -hmm. you build up your body's immune system. Absolutely. And, and so you can prevent infectious disease that way. Yes, come on. And that is a part of the formula. And you are making me smile ear to ear by saying that because. I will tell you, you're absolutely right. So all of the cortisols and the things that build up in our body because of stress, exercise is a way to be able to alleviate it. And yeah, it blows it out, right? Exactly. And, and many gives, yep. the stronger your body gets, the more it can handle all those things. Yes. It's constantly handling those things, right? It's constantly regulating those things. You know what I mean? 
So, so, yeah, Mike. so that's so when they shut when COVID hit and they had the <laughs> shutdown, they shut down all of my gyms. So guess where I was at? So I went, I walked 136 miles in three in 30 days. Oh my gosh. And guess where I was, Mike? Where were you? So have you heard of extreme hip hop with Phil? No. So he is literally, I kid you not, like an international world-renowned fitness instructor that has revamped how we look at step aerobics. Oh, I love so it. during the pandemic, we went from being in the studio to literally doing YouTube recordings in the basement wow. and ended up with over 800,000 followers on YouTube and over 5 million followers on Facebook. That's awesome. Yes. Like literally just by doing aerobic step in the basement and then something that we call extreme burn. And so you're right. Along with me getting my lemon and ginger intake, because I'm a firm believer, <laughs> um, in natural things too. Like when it comes, especially ginger, like ginger is such a good anti-inflammatory. So I would literally do lemon and ginger and I would make sure that I'm working out. And that's how we all stay safe during a pandemic. And I can tell you, and of course, you know, there's the superstition of knocking on wood, but in my whole house of a family of five, we didn't get COVID. Wow. That's awesome. Like even still like to this day. And you know, it might've been a common cold here and there every once in a while, but that was one of the things that we were very vigilant on has been like hand hygiene has made sure, you know, if we're around someone um, that we know and we're coming down with a cold that we're taking these preventative measures, exercise. So even when my kids couldn't be out, we, I made them run. So we actually ran during lunchtime because I'm like, you're not going to get any other activity. So it is very important. And I'm so happy to hear you emphasize that because when someone looks up and they say, well, how do you do all of these amazing things? Or how is it that you're able to manage so much? I make sure that I get my workout in at least, I work out at least probably like four or five times a week. Um, if that, just to make sure that I'm relieving some stress. That's awesome. I love that. I'd love to get, um, what'd you say his name was? The, Oh, you did. He would be a good one. I'd love he, to have him on our podcast. He would be a good one. He absolutely. Yeah, would. yeah no, absolutely. I'll make sure oh. that I tell you about him. And one other thing. So when we talk about opportunities and just, you know, being able to go farther than you can imagine, I'll be honest in telling you, I did not think I would live past 17. Really? So, yeah. So I grew up, the neighborhoods that I grew up in, um, just people that I was around, I have a lot of friends that I lost um, to some sort of violence. And so for whatever reason, this age of 17 just magically stuck in my head that I wouldn't go beyond that age. And when I started to make it beyond that age and started to like just even think in that manner, it was this mindset of living life to the fullest. And I know that even more now, still losing people. Almost like every day is borrowed kind of thing, right? Yes, exactly. Like this is, you know, past 17, everything from here on out, this is God's grace, right? Exactly. And I live like that. So even still now, so I maximize time. I make sure, you know, I don't hold grudges. If there's someone that I'm thinking about, making sure that I'm picking up the phone right then and there and just letting them know like, hey, I love you. Um just really doing things as if it's that last moment and making sure that I'm not wasting time. So if there is an opportunity that I need to take or there's someone that I need to help, not waiting, you know? So hence even Patty saying like, hey, you know, I love your story just by knowing you, I think this would be great. And then you have an availability. I said, nope, I'm gonna hop on tomorrow opposed to putting it off. Right. So that's always been important. And I went to Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. So first time ever leaving the country, by the way, and then let known go about 12 hours by plane away from home. It was the most amazing experience and very humbling for me to be able to go and share my research around infection prevention and control and patient hand hygiene with the Saudis. Oh, that's awesome. And you hear- Yes. I mean, breathtaking, mind blowing. I had to keep pinching myself to see if it's real. 
because sometimes the news will tell you things about places. But I just said, I was like, well, hey, you know, I, because, you know, of course, people are going to say, oh, my gosh, you shouldn't go over there. There's the wars that's going on or it's a bad time to travel. And I just looked at him and I said, well, if it's my time, it's my time. But had I been talked out of that experience, I would have never been opened up to understanding that some of the same challenges we have as it comes to infection prevention and control, they have to and are constantly trying to mitigate it. Um, health being a priority, they don't emphasize fitness like we do, but they emphasize healthy eating. And so there's so many things that globally we can learn from each other if we find out or think through what actually puts us together more instead of what divides us. Right. Yeah, we have more in common than than what we than what we have that divides us, that's for sure. We do. And even still, I always talk about Maslow's hierarchy of living. And at the very bottom of that pyramid, before you can climb up and get to self-fulfilling purpose or actualization, it's just making sure that people are met with food, water, shelter, and security. Is that being just the basis of what they have? So if you know that people are eating, if you know that they have shelter, if you know that they have security and water, then those are the essentials. And when I went there, they had no homeless people in Jeddah. Wow. And I was like, there's no homeless people here. And they said, well, no, we feed everyone. They feed everyone. The only thing I saw on the streets was cats. But the reason why they do their fast is they actually let people into their homes. They don't lock their doors. They let people into their homes to come in and be able to eat and be able to feast because they use it as a place of gratitude to remember what they have and what they don't have or when they didn't have. And I just thought I was like, that is just so profound that that's something that I actually took away from over there and brought back. And so I've adopted that for, let's say, shopping. Mm -hmm. I only had two pair of jeans in high school and one of them was taper fit and the other one was bell bottom. So you knew I was, if I wore one or if I wore the other, it was no secret, but that was all that we could afford, you know, very early on. And so it's humbling because even as I think about the ability to be able to buy more now, it's sometimes taking that break and just being able to reflect back on when I didn't have. Yeah, that was true. It's true. And it's amazing. It's amazing how you appreciate where you came from because yeah. it really helped to shape who you are today. That's just Absolutely. awesome. Thank you, Mike. And I I love it because we're all human beings. At the end of the day, we all have different backgrounds, different upbringings. Um, I tell everyone my fight or my challenge in life is no more or no less than yours because we all have them. And I think when we can talk and speak with each other on the level of being human beings, you find that you can relate to anyone. So I can have a conversation with the homeless person because I know what it's like to be homeless. I can have the conversation with the CEO because I know that they're a human being. And I know that it took something in order for them to be able to get where they are the same way it takes me, you know, the motivation, the tenacity, the strength to be able to get to where I am. And along those paths, like it comes challenges. That's true. That's true. Wow, that's awesome. So let me ask you this. Is there anything else you'd like to cover before we wrap up? Wow, that could be so many, 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 many things. <laughs> we could be here for a while. <laughs> I think I'm going to use this time to, or just this last bit of time to just talk about, I would say the importance of giving back even when you don't have. Yeah. The importance of when you are in a space, lifting someone up, even when you feel like you don't have the space to be able to do it or the capacity to be able to do it, any importance of that. Mike, I still to this day mentor students that are just like me. I see myself in them. And what that does is, is it helps them to be able to overcome, let's say, those challenges. Mm -hmm. As a result of me being able to do so, it's always a smile on my face when I see a kid graduate, when I see 
a child that's moving up. The programs that exist, we may not have enough time on our hands to be able to do everything, but it's asking yourself if I can donate an hour of time to someone or pick up the phone to have a conversation. If it's, I can sit on a board of some sort to be able to help children, then being able to do so, because those are the people that are then going to be running our future one day. They're going to be taking care of us. And you want to know that they have like that compassion within them to know that they can make it. It's also knowing as well that I didn't have a blueprint. You didn't have a blueprint. Right. We're all piecing this together. Mm-hmm. So even expressing to them that adults are really just grown children that still are trying to figure it out. We're still right. trying to find our pathway, but in doing so is doing the things that we're more passionate about. And I had an appreciation for what you said. You said, if I ever got the opportunity to allow people to tell their stories and to be able to highlight them, not in an abbreviated manner, but be able to get them to share what would that look like for me? I just want to say that I appreciate the fact that you have this space for me to be able to share how I dreamed my way out of poverty in the same way that I'm teaching other children to be able to dream their way out of theirs and even adults. So those that are just around us that are having that self-doubt as to whether or not they can make it. Yeah, so there's a sixth grade teacher in your life, right? Mm-hmm. There's a there's a chemistry teacher in your life. There's mm-hmm. a nurse in your life. Look at all the people who were just going about doing what they do. They yes. were just doing what they do, right? Yes. The sixth grade teacher was giving you rides to school when you didn't have rides to school. And let's be honest, it's a little cold in Cleveland some yes. some months <laughs> out of the year, right? Usually during the school year, right? You know, the the nurse who took such great care of you that it inspired you to go get your nursing degree and the assistant, right? The assistant nurse, the, 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 the nurse's assistant that was helping. I mean, start looking at all the people that they were going about doing what they do for a living, but they had an impact on you that has never left you. Yes. Right. And it's inspired you to go to incredible heights that you're continuing to climb. Right. Simply because you came across people that God put in your path. I was on um, social media the other day and I said, listen, I don't know who needs to hear this, but find somebody today and thank them. Find somebody today and tell them they're doing a good job. I walked up to a kid, put my arm around him that I've seen, I don't know, probably 50, 60 times. Come on around him. I said, hey, you're doing a good job. He nearly started crying. But you see that? And Mike, exactly what you said? That's me. That is so so me. And so exactly to the point that you just made, I've given you a few, okay? But I could go on and on and on. Oh, I know. We could be here for three days. That's it. But when I literally think about those people, how I mentioned to you, I take that moment. I'm saying that I might do a phone call. If I don't have their number, I'll, I'll send an email. I've put stuff in the mail because I couldn't reach people. Yeah. Like I literally had to reach out to the director of financial aid at Baldwin Wallace and with tears in my eyes had wrote this letter, just thanking this man for declaring me as an independent student, which allowed me to finish my degree for having grace on me to extend scholarships at certain points and let him know because of you, I got my PhD today. So I literally took my time during during that degree and did just that. This fitness instructor that I'm telling you about, even with the tumultuous times of things that happened, you know, because while I may have made it out of poverty, I still have brothers, sisters, I have aunts, uncles that are still living that everyday life, which is why I still continue to fight the good fight. Right. That fitness instructor, Phil, his name is Phil, but Extreme Hip Hop with Phil has just him being in his element and loving what it is that he does has been my stress reliever in so many regards. So when you mention what love you have every time you're pumping arm because you're like, hey, I want to build these muscles up. That's what step gives me. And it's like the gift that keeps giving 
And it's almost like I'm a little pseudo celebrity, Mike, which I crack up at because I can go around to other places and they're like, you're Dr. Nina from Extreme, because that's what he will call me, Doc. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. But it's so humbling when someone's seeing you and they're like, I watched you during the whole pandemic and your energy is amazing and you're just so motivating. And it's so humbling because but I'm doing- Think about this for a second. How many PhDs, how many PhDs are doing that kind of thing? How many certified nurses are doing, how many registered nurses are doing that kind of thing? How many people in your field, right, are actually doing what we're talking about? When people think PhD, they don't think they don't think somebody who's who's in, involved in in aerobics instructing. Okay, they don't think about that kind of thing. They don't. You with me? So yeah. you're you're breaking norms all over the place, and it's having. I guarantee you, it's having an impact. This interview is going to have a major impact. I guarantee it. You know, I, you mind if I tell you something real quick? Go right ahead. Yeah. So we live in Escondido, California, and I actually campaigned for the mayor here and helped him get, helped him get elected. And he came on our podcast and he told us that just a few short years ago, he was homeless and he was a drug addict. He ends up going into drug, drug rehab. He ends up meeting his current wife. They now have two beautiful girls and he's the mayor of Escondido. I mean, talk about Talk about, and this is just a few short years, okay? Yes. One of the things that he mentioned on our podcast interview was he got a text message on a particular morning after he had said a prayer. He was going to quit. He told his mother he was going to quit rehab. And his mother yes. said, well, say a prayer. It's on a Friday night. Say a prayer and be specific. Ask God specifically what you want. So he did. The next morning, he gets a text message from some missionaries from the from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, yes. okay? And they had been tech, they had been texting him. They used to run into him in parking lots when he was high and all this kind of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And they had his number. They texted him that morning and said, Would you like to get together? He texted back, yes. It was the first time he had texted them back. And they had been texting him set like dozens and dozens of times, right? Mm -hmm. So we do this, we do this thing. He ends up turning his entire life around. That day is the biggest part of it. And that get together that evening was the biggest part of it. It literally was an answer to prayer. So fast forward about four weeks, maybe five weeks, I'm driving by my house and I'm on my way home. And I look up and there's two missionaries walking, young men walking down the, down the street. And God told me to turn my truck around and go encourage them. And so I did. I turned my truck around. I got on my truck. Now I'm a big guy and I've got sunglasses on. I look a little intimidating. People tell me I kind of look like a cop. I got on my truck and it sort of startled them, right? Yeah. Glasses off. And he said, listen, guys, I just want to share something with you. The mayor of Escondido. And so I shared the story with him. Oh. And I said, just don't stop. No matter what you do, don't stop reaching out to people. Even if they haven't responded, keep reaching out. You guys are walking miracles and you don't even know it. Oh. Right? Right? What you do every day has an impact. They nearly started crying. I ain't gonna lie, I'm about to start crying. crying. I'm and about it was, to... it was the moment that they needed that yeah. encouragement. You with me? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not even a part of the of the of the church of Jesus Christ. I'm a non-denominational Christian, mm -hmm. but I saw the power, right? Through his story, I saw the power of what they do to help turn people's lives around. I mean, it's incredible. Absolutely incredible. You can add, it's just like going back to what we talked about with Maya Angelou, right? People will forget what you did for a living, but they'll never forget how, how you made them feel. But that's it. And you know what you did for them? Them feeling as if they have to be strong to help other people. And that just brings full circle about check on your strong friends. Yeah. And even the strong, you know, need support too, because of that level of uncertainty. So that was powerful. And I just want to say it resonated with me in more ways than you know. And I know that messages come at a certain time for a certain reason. So thank you for that message of keep going. Well, it's and, why we do this. It's why yeah, we do this. Because we're getting, we're getting people's stories and they're sharing with us why they do what they do, right? And how And how their life, their journey through life has helped them to get to where they are today. 
And it's fascinating to me. I know you can't tell because I hide it well, but it's fascinating to me how your life has, has come full circle to yes. where it is today. I can't wait to see what you do tomorrow. Listen, and it's, it, trust me, I'm striving every single day to, it's not even figure it out. It's really just appreciating the journey. And I think that right there, um, that's how I keep going. I feel every ache. I feel every pain, but I always remind myself, God says, take what you want and pay for it. Mm -hmm. Meaning that if I'm trying to build a certain life, if I'm trying to let's say, go after a certain task, help a certain group of people is going to come with some of those hardships. It's going to come with some of those pitfalls. But I'm always thinking through, what am I learning? What is this meant to teach me? What is this meant to do so that way I can prevent falling again, you know, in this regard? And so I've had that and I'm thankful for it. Just as much as I am the successes I don't think they would feel as good as they do if I didn't have those moments of where it was hardship, where it was challenges, where I was questioning, oh my gosh, am I on the right path? Having imposter syndrome, which is a real thing. When, it is a real thing. Yeah, when you're like, oh my gosh, like I'm really doing this? Am I really big or, you know, just whatever the case may be? Because even now, and don't take offense to this, but I just see an anointing over you, meaning, you know, I see something special in what it is that you're doing and even the way in which you bring things out of others. And so thank you for that. Well, thank you. I cannot thank you enough for being our guest on the Michael Litton Experience. Thank you. I appreciate our time together. This was a lot of fun. It was. <laughs> I'm proud of you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed another episode of the Mike Litton Experience. If you did, do us a favor, smash that subscribe button, tell your friends, family, and coworkers about our program, and wherever you get your podcasts, please leave us a rating. It helps us to connect with quality people just like you. And that's a wrap. Another episode of the Mike Litton Experience in the books. Reach out to Mike on Instagram at Litton Realty. Want to meet with Mike? Check out Cavanly.com slash Rio 760.